Hello, everyone. Welcome to PhilCham Shanghai's P-Noise podcast, where we get to know more about our Kababayans working in Shanghai. I am Josh, together with Jeffrey, and today we are going to talk to Miss Angelie Beltran, who was Director of Care, which stands for like Consumer Acquisition, Retention, and Extension for Mead Johnson Nutrition for three years here in China. So um, let's start with the basic questions first, Miss Angelie. When did you move to Shanghai, and uh, reason? Hi, I'm Angelie. Hi, Good. Angelie. So happy to be here, and also so nice to meet fellow Pinoys. Um, so I moved to China three years ago in 2018. I can remember September 4, 2018 was when we moved from Singapore to China. So we've been here three years. I was working in a global role before I moved to China. So it was an opportunity for me to apply all the uh, learnings about care and making it happen in the biggest market in the world for us. Not just the biggest market, but also the most digitally advanced market in the world. So. Building on digitally advanced, right? What were I would say the surprises that you had in terms of like the digital infrastructure here in China, or even just the adjustments that you had to make from a career work perspective? So what surprised me is just the sheer size of this country. I mean, everything is supersized, right? And especially the especially the industry. Like you're going to say you don't have just one e-commerce platform. You have two big ones and then seven smaller ones. But smaller is also billions of dollars in worth. And the other description I would have is dynamic and changing. Yeah. So you get a lot of these. You have to always keep in, in touch with the trends and what's going on because every month there's a new platform that's emerging a new trend that's emerging that's working with the consumer behavior changing where they engage or where they get their content or how to reach them so for example when i arrived it was just baidu alibaba tencent but now before i leave you get pinduoduo you get Kwai show you get bilibili you get little red book live streaming which is just every it's just Changes and which makes it also quite an exciting market. And the other thing is, you know, we we wanted to, of course, beyond just talking about like business, we just want to get a more of like a personal sense of who you are. Okay. Can you tell us like how does Angelie spend her typical day? <laughs> At work. <Yeah>. Work. <laughs> so it's funny. So like, Seven a.m. You know, with a facial mask. Ah, okay, so 7 a.m. wake up, look at the clock, press the snooze button, and sleep maybe 30 minutes more. Wake up because I have no choice because my cat is sitting on my chest, meowing on my face and wanting to be fed. So he's the most uh, effective alarm clock. <laughs> so feed the cat, and while the cat's eating, I'm drinking my morning coffee, which I cannot live without. Go and check all while I'm having my coffee. I'm checking my calendar, checking my emails,、uh, responding to WeChat, getting my day ready, and then when I get to the office, oh my God, it's back to back to back to back to back to back meetings. <laughs> it's been a running joke in our office that they they in the farewell 
party video they made for me. It was so funny. They had like a, it was entitled, Where's Angeli? <laughs> and so they have a video on my desk and then they have a video on each of the meeting rooms. It's a hide-and-seek <laughs> so, game. It's a hide-and-seek game. Whereas Angelie, she's probably in one of these meeting rooms because you know it's just all back-to-back meetings, which I like because that means I'm engaging with people yeah. and we're, we're getting things done together. And then when I get home, just Netflix and chill. So <laughs> <Zone> out. <laughs> okay, I think um, Angelie is our first guest where... Um, she hasn't been here a while. Like looking at the profile that uh, you shared, you've only been here for three years. Mm-hmm. So I- I'm just curious, where were you before Shanghai and what was the motivation? Because most of the people that we've interviewed so far, it's it's at least seven years or more that they have been here. So 2018, it's a bit like, I wouldn't say late in the game, but like something to that effect. So where were you right. before and like what was the motivation to move to Shanghai? Okay. So I was previously in Singapore. So I'd been li- living in Singapore eight years before moving to, to Guangzhou. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So okay. I'm also a guest here in Shanghai at the moment. But mm. me, Johnson, China was in Guangzhou. I had been in a global role. I had found myself visiting China more frequently because it is the biggest market in the world. Just to give you a context, 16 million, at the time when I moved, 16 million babies born a year. That's the size of Metro Manila, right? Yeah, wow. 16 million babies born a year. So it's the biggest market in the world for us. So I had found myself visiting China more and more frequently working with the team. And so my GM for marketing said, why don't you just move here? And get it, you know, lead it and drive it and do it. And I said, it's just amazing because, again, it's the biggest market in the world. It's the most dynamic, digitally advanced market in the world. So I thought that, you know, bringing all the concepts of consumer centricity, um, data-driven marketing, digital into a context that's this dynamic was quite an exciting opportunity for me. So initially, I was supposed to just stay two years, but you know, because of all the work that we've been doing, it got extended to three years. And now I'm moving to another global, going back to the global role, which I think is really made possible because of all the achievements and learnings we had in China. A lot of the things that we've done here and the market itself in terms of digital is maybe two to three years ahead of everybody else. And so the advantage of coming back to global is taking all these learnings with me to accelerate the other markets as well. And then I was going through your bio. You're really a woman of many labels. Okay. You're you're an entrepreneur. Right. You're a strategist. Right. right? You're a corporate executive. Okay. And um, not a lot of people get to have all these different labels. What has been your guiding compass for your success, so to speak? Like, you know, different roles, different stages. What has led you to where you are now? I think it's really all about people. Mm. You know, you never achieve anything by yourself. There was a story that my husband shared with me that resonates with me until now. Yeah. He said that they, made, they did a test of the, luck, the, most, the luckiest people in the world to see if luck was really true. And luckiest meaning, you know, they had the best opportunities and they had led happy lives. What they found was they did this test among people. They they left a $10 bill on the floor. 
Some people picked it up and kept it. Some people didn't even notice it. But the people who had the luckiest and most fulfilled lives were the people who picked it up, looked around, and asked people if they lost their $10 bill. So that stuck with me to say that, you know, the, the only way you can really advance in life if it's your if you look around you understand what's going on around you and you kind of help people along the way because your achievement is never just because of yourself it's about the people you work with and i think that's kind of the lesson i've carried in my life that whenever i come into a new role i always look at it as okay how can we achieve all these things together as opposed to just myself Empathy, right? You know, yeah, like it's empathy. Yeah, yeah, it's being sensitive and really understanding, putting yourself in the other person's shoes, understanding what that other person wants to achieve for herself or himself, because everybody's motivated by different things, yeah. and I'm motivated by something else. I cannot possibly expect people to, to think the same way as me. And by understanding that, then we can have a better working relationship mm-hmm. and drive towards mm-hmm. the same goals together. So I think in the in the experiences that I've had. And mind you, the, some of the experiences and these lessons have been very hard learned, yes. right? I was a very different person when about 10, 15 years ago. You can ask the people I've worked with then. But I think I've learned a lot through that. And I think that's why those, that combination of things, that's kind of how I've helped drive to this point in my career. Okay, so initially you were just here for like company visits or like business trips, mm-hmm. right? So was there anything that surprised you when you finally lived here? Or uh, were there like certain things that you didn't realize or realize that it was very different from when you were just visiting versus when you finally stayed here for work? You know, before I finally moved, I, of course, I read a lot of books mm-hmm. You know, culture, differences in culture. And, you know, you read the same things like um, there's a, you know, you can't make them lose face or things that we know or you need to build a relationship, which things that we know already. But I think what made me really surprised is people's bias for action here. So I found myself having to be careful between having a thought that I express versus giving a direction to my team. I remember the first time we were having our discussions on their projects and I was just having this brain, a brain fart. <laughs> I said, what if we do this and instead of that? And then the next day, he said, Angeli, Angeli, we did it. This is what you did. I said, oh, oh no, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't mean for you guys to do it. I was just thinking out loud. So... There's such a bias for action here. You know, you, whatever you can do yesterday, you have to do it right away. And so I had to be very mindful about how I was going to help deliver a direction that's clear and precise because I know people will want to get things done. Mm. So that was the most surprising, but also pleasantly surprising thing I've learned when I was finally here and working closely with teams. Is there something like that that's outside of work though? Like more on your day-to-day life outside of the office uh, that also like 
kind of caught you by surprise or you had a different perception before you came here and then when you got here oh this is how china is or this is how like uh, chinese people are something like that well for me that i've just found that chinese people are incredibly helpful they're incredibly welcoming everywhere we go and it's so funny because everywhere we go they think i'm chinese i am married to a british so Obviously, they think that I speak Chinese. And <laughs> funny enough, my husband lived in Beijing, so he speaks more Chinese than me. But, you know, even if they don't understand what we say, they don't just shoo us away. They just make it the point to listen and try to help as much as they can. And when they finally realize they've helped, they're really happy to have helped, you know. And, and I find that everywhere. We've traveled around China, we know because of COVID, we can't travel outside, but it was a great opportunity to also travel around. And everywhere you go, people are incredibly kind and helpful. And the language is never a barrier for that helpfulness. And then, Anjali, I'll, I'll shift a bit. You've been actually an entrepreneur before the word entrepreneur was hot. <laughs> really? Yeah, okay. right? You know, very early, you've actually built... And, and sold your first uh, strategic agency, your strategy agency to Dentsu. Can you share with us like your journey from like building this business to the point of selling it? Like what were the lessons that you learned? Okay, so that's my first question. So I'll let you answer that first and then you know, I'll follow up. Follow up question don't. Okay. Okay, so just as a background, so I was in Ogilvy. Yeah. And I had a college friend who built an agency called Indio. And Indio was a graphic design agency working closely with PNG, doing a lot of the... I know, think I know the founder too. Paul Santos. Yes. Yes. So the Paul husband Sa of Christine. Yeah, the Christ oh husband of Christine. Okay. So we've just been chatting about how small okay, this, this world is. This is a new... <laughs> a new one. Again, again. Uncle. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So okay. Paul Santos was my classmate in Ateneo. Ah, okay. So we were both in ME. And he set up uh, Indio, which is a graphic design agency, after he left PNG. And I was in Ogilvy One direct. I was in Ogilvy One. And there were very few agencies specializing in digital and uh, direct marketing. I've been corrected that during that time, digital was not alive yet. <laughs> so that kind of tells you what age I am. <laughs> It was still direct marketing. You're but not alone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, kindred spirits, like yeah. you said, same generation. Yes. Yes. So at that time, um, there were very few agencies doing direct marketing, but I knew it was where things were going. Yeah? So because data was becoming more uh, important and the science of database marketing was becoming more important in other markets as well. And I knew that because I was an Ogilvy one. So I joined them and we decided to pivot and change the model to direct marketing. And I think we persisted in that because we believed in the vision that it's going to be the future. It wasn't easy, but we had to make choices on the right kind of people to bring in, the right kind of clients to bring in that will allow us to deliver our vision and partner closely with the clients to deliver a new service that would help make them competitive. So I think what made it work really well for us is because we were smaller, we were also more aggressive. 
And we also saw some gaps in the industry that we could fill ourselves that was different to what the four ACE agencies were offering at that time. So much so that we had been getting the attention because we were beating the four A's in pitches. And, you know, literally you say, Sino ba to mga Indian na to? Which for us was pride, wow. right? Yeah. <laughs> Sino ba to mga Indian na to? Kasi India was, you know, it's called, it's a derogatory, derogatory. term, right? Yeah. But, no India. but yeah, yeah, yeah. we wanted to, I mean, the vision that was driving the companies, we wanted to change what India meant to be Los Indios Bravos or, yeah. you know, we're proud to be India. That's why when people say, see the bato mga Indian na to, I say, yes, we've made Finally. it. Finally. <laughs> no, we were really beating the agencies and pitches, like okay. the big ones. And so that allowed us to grow and get the attention of the four A's and said, look, we, you have services that we don't have. Would you want to partner with us? And we decided to go with Dentsu because they were, I guess, among all those the one that wanted to partner for growth as opposed to an acquisition. Mm, okay. And that's why we decided to partner with them. So which was, which was, they were true to their promise. We really grew the business in Philippines. And that's why I ended up moving to Singapore because they wanted me to help the other countries build a similar model. And at the time it was already digital. Mm. Okay, so it's expanded into digital as well. So that's the story of, of that. So my follow-up is, of course, you're a business owner, right? And, you know, for most people, the cliche is you want to be your own boss, right? And then what sort of triggered and made you go back to a corporate path away from your business? I think when the business grew and because I like building things. I like the I like the building the transformation. So when the business got to a point where it was big enough that I can hand it over to someone, I was looking for a different transformation role where I can build something new. And true enough, when I moved to Singapore with Dentsu, the remit was to transform the organization and build the organization for, to be ready for digital, right? Because a lot of the clients were looking for digital services. Dentsu in Singapore and Asia at the time were a bit behind. So we were losing business to the agencies that were more agile and more aggressive in terms of digital. But we ended up building another agency for Dentsu. So my entrepreneurial sense came, came back came and back. we built another agency, which is called Dentsu Mobius, which became a regional agency in APAC servicing the digital accounts, uh, the digital business of Dentsu, as well as getting new business that are more uh, not in the current Dentsu roster. So it's still there, but I think the difference is that it's a more well-funded opportunity. But I think it wasn't really the be your own boss that drove me. It was the drive to impact change and to transform. And I think the good thing about being in a bigger environment is the challenge is bigger because there's things that you need to go against that are already quite established, but it's also well-funded, right? So you can really drive a big impact with a change. 
So um, you have rich experience in terms of working in the APAC region. As a Filipino, what would you say would be the things that became an advantage? And at the same time, um, as a Filipino, what were the things that posed as a challenge? Like the roles that you have played and like the things that you have built. I think what's great about us being Filipino is mainly our resilience. We always find a way around things, right? Maabilidad. Yes. I'll give an example. There was a time I was running a workshop in the Dentsu headquarters in Japan. Just as an example. So what happened was the sound system wouldn't work. Like if you connect it to the laptop, it didn't come out of the speaker. So my Japanese colleagues were freaking out. They were like, oh my God, it has to work. And it was taking them 15 minutes. But they wanted to get the sound out because they were supposed to play in an audio file, right? But they need to plug it to the speakers. So what I did was give me the microphone and I just put it close to the speaker of the laptop, which yeah. led to the same outcome. And they were like looking at me like, no, you can't do that. It's working. Let's just get on with it. So I think our ability to find solutions in, that are different and creative is an advantage to us. I found that some cultures are a bit more set in their ways. So no criticism to them, right? It's just that that's the way maybe they've, they operate. Like everything has yeah. to work a certain way. Mm-hmm. Whereas we are very creative, finding creative solutions in spite of what's going on yeah, because because we have to do yeah, it, right? Like, may baha o ano ngayon? O di just, kumuha ka ng ano, tricycle or, right? Oh, magsagwan ka dyan. Or sa school, university, walang kuryente, kandila. Correct, di ba? O walang kuryente, o magbaterya ka. So, I think that resilience has allowed us to thrive especially in environments where it's different and difficult. We, we find a way. However, on the other hand, because of that as well, there's a tendency for doing shortcuts or not being as, uh, what is this, details-oriented in some areas. It's, I, I, like I said, it's not all, but I've experienced some. And I think that part needs to be addressed because we need to... In a, in a very international environment, you, you need that. So I think things that we need to kind of avoid would be sloppiness. So, so we need some more focus on details, plus no manana habits, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Whatever, Especially here in this market, yeah. whatever you can do today, you, you should have done yesterday. <laughs> you cannot do it tomorrow. So I think it's just those two that I've observed. And, and even I have had to change a lot in that area. I had to really be very focused on the details and the operations and the process and the long-term things versus a short-term solution that is normally creative, but sometimes you need to think about it from a long-term perspective as well. So I guess on, on that, that's on my experience. And then just to close the, the interview. I think one of the key things that I found very inspiring is this whole notion of constant transformation. Mm-hmm. Right? You've always been changing. And in, in hindsight, if you look at all these, these are really key chapters, right? And transformational chapters. So what would be your tip in terms of 
for people to just keep on changing and transforming because it's an easy word to say but it actually is very hard and I, I think hearing your stories you've managed to do that in key chunks right <laughs> um, so any life tips I think every experience you have is a, an opportunity to learn something yeah. big small hard easy and I think you just need to have a vision of who you want to be yeah, that's and, very important. Right? Yeah. Because as you move towards that vision, then you can reflect on the life lessons, whether it's getting you closer to the version of the person you want to be or not. And if you're not on that path to that version of the person you want to be, then you know the answer that pivot. you need to pivot and change. So I think it's just being clear about, and it's not easy. I think the hardest thing I've ever uh, realized is it's very difficult to know who you are, especially when you've grown up being told who you're supposed to be. I love that. Right? Yeah. But then it's only yourself who can really understand, who can really know who you are and love who you are. And once you have that, then every choice that you make is true to who that person is. And that that I think is the biggest lesson I've had so far. And it's not been a very easy road, but I think I'm happier for it because, you know, you, there's no one else in this world that you should love and recognize and respect before you can do that to other people. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that's the, that's the biggest lesson I can share. Yeah, very well said. Uh, there you have it, guys. Thanks again, Ms. Angeli, for joining us today. We enjoyed having you with us and hopefully our fellow Filipinos have learned from the stories you've shared and inspired them to make it happen here in China or anywhere in the world. So before we let you go, is there anything that you would like to share, like uh, to promote or to like plug about uh, something that you're doing or uh, charity or something your like Instagram that? Instagram or your YouTube channel. Do you need more likes and sub subscribes? Well, you know, being the true um, record person, buy our brands. <laughs> very good brands. Yeah, they're very good brands. So please buy our brands. If you're a mom, please buy our products. Um, but no, no, seriously, um, nothing much. Just, you know, just thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. It was re I really enjoyed it. And I hope that I was able to share and I'd love to hear as well from, you know, the other speakers. So I'll be tuning in. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, for our listeners, if you would like to know more about PhilCham Shanghai and how to join, you can follow our official WeChat account, PhilCham uh, Space SH, or visit our website, www.philcham.org. So before we say goodbye, we'd like to thank Oasis uh, for this space. Uh, join us again next time on Pinoys where we get to know more about our Kabobayans working and living in Shanghai. And just to end this podcast, I want to just reiterate what Anjali said. To transform yourself starts with loving yourself. So signing off, maraming salamat po.